the Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, the most unique, entertaining sports talk podcast that you can listen to. I discuss the latest and greatest of happenings in the world of sports with the listening help of your support. My episodes will bring on a heat wave like Martha and the Vandellas, giving you a podcast for all the latest. And the fellas, a warrior with a golden state of mind, producing a podcast that is divine every single time with a fabulous style of rhythm that is always intertwined. My name of podcast, you won't be besmirching. Stop with the nonsense like E-Horses Sturgeon stops pucks, running over the competition like a Mack truck. You want to try and have your podcast compete with mine? <laughs> Good luck. Subscribe, rate, and review, and I would very much appreciate. Together, we'll continue to make this podcast great, unique, distinct. Any opinions or negativity toward this, in the words of The Rock, It doesn't matter what you think! Wendell's World of Sports. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, and anyhow you listen to your favorite podcast. Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? What well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up? Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasta, shalom, assalamu alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I begin, as always, two requests. Number one, I hope that you're doing everything that you need to be doing to make this world that I live in, that you live in, that we live in, a better place to be. How we do that? Through love, through peace, through unity, through understanding, through empathy, through compassion for those who deserve it, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of their religion. Regardless of who they love, regardless of where they're from, regardless of what side of the track that they're on, regardless of their financial background or how much they or how much money they have, regardless of all of that nonsense, man, for those who have love, peace, unity, understanding, empathy in their heart, I'm with you regardless of all of those other things. If we could do that, if we could come together in that way through love and peace and unity, understanding, compassion, sympathy, sympathy, this world would be such a much better place for not only us, but also for our children. And number two, of course, when it comes to my show anywhere, where you listen to your favorite podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. If you could do me a favor, download, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, though, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you could do that for me, it would make me 
the happiest human being walking the face of the earth. All right, a lot of good stuff to get down on in the world today concerning the um, concerning the NFL playoffs, concerning the wild card weekend that just passed, putting the wild in wild card weekend. What's the biggest storyline? What's the biggest takeaway from the weekend of the wild card games? I guess that you could say when everything was all said and done, the NFC East was the most fraudulent division out there with the teams that were most fraudulent when you're speaking about teams that look like they could possibly contend not only to win the the conference championship but also to win the Super Bowl. Fraudulent when you speak about the Philadelphia Eagles and you speak about the Dallas Cowboys. And specifically, let's talk about the Eagles to begin with because, man, we speak about the NFL. We speak about it in chapters. We speak about it as a book. We speak about it as a play. We speak about it as a movie in terms of the plots and the twists and the ups and downs. And it's the best reality television out there along with other sports. But that's the one great thing about sports, right? This is reality television, really, when you speak about reality television, because the endings, we don't know. We think we know, but we don't know, especially when you're following the sports as much as I do, as much as you do. When you speak about trying to prognosticate or when you're trying to give your opinion about who's the best, who's the worst, who's going to make the playoffs, who's not going to make the playoffs, which team is underachieving, which team is overachieving, which teams are living up to preseason expectations, which ones are succeeding, which ones are failing to meet the expectations. When you speak about, and specifically the NFL, right? Because I remember about two months ago, I remember that Thanksgiving weekend, I remember going into the game against the San Francisco 49ers. I remember that the Philadelphia Eagles at that time were 10-1. And And not only were they 10-1, a team that had won the NFC Championship the year before and had taken the Kansas City football team down to the wire in terms of winning the Super Bowl with one of the young, up-and-coming quarterbacks in the league who just got paid, who validated himself after that one year as one of the elite or one of the top 10, top 5, top 6, top 7 quarterbacks in the league when you're speaking about Jalen Hurts. So the Philadelphia Eagles coming in with that resume, the Philadelphia Eagles coming in with that background into week 12 of the season when they were 10-1. and They had the best record in the NFL. They had just come off a five-game stretch where they had won all of those games. They had beaten the Cowboys. They had beaten the Dolphins. They had beaten uh, the Commanders, which is no big deal. They had beaten the Buffalo Bills. They had beaten the Kansas City football team, in which kind of established themselves as the best team at that time. Media outlets, NFL.com, ESPN, were all proclaiming the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles were the best team in the NFL. They had a top five, top six, top seven quarterback or a quarterback at that time and Jalen Hurts who was in consideration for NFL League MVP at the time. They had a defense that was third against the run. They had all of these things going for them and going into that game against the San Francisco 49ers on that, I believe, the 3rd of December. I believe it was a Monday night game or a Sunday night game, one of those games, a primetime game. If it was going to be a situation, that was going to be the 2023 NFL game of the year. And it was also going to be, it was supposed to be really a measuring stick for how well the San Francisco 49ers were. Okay, let's see how good this Brock Purdy is going up against the defense, going up, up, going up against the defending champions. We saw what happened the last time that they played in the championship game in Philadelphia, how Purdy didn't even make it out of the first quarter before being injured. Let's see how San Francisco responds. It's the revenge game for San Francisco. That was the storyline. That was the plot. That's what we were talking about. That was the scuttlebutt 
going into that game. And who would have thought, doggone, ain't sports great? Who would have thought after this game, after that game, or before that game, going into that game against the San Francisco 49ers that the Philadelphia Eagles, as I'm recording this on December 7th, excuse me, on January 17th, who would have thought that the Philadelphia Eagles would wind up where they are right now? Embarrassed, in disarray, question marks, everything. You know what it looked like when I was watching that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I saw a team that just didn't like each other. I saw a team that was just basically tired of each other. I, I, I saw a team that just couldn't wait for the most part to get away from each other. Yeah, from the reports after the game that the Eagles were, the players were sitting in stunned silence. They couldn't understand what happened. They were in disbelief. Maybe not just with this game, but just how they got to this game, how they got to this point. But what I saw on the field on Monday against Tampa Bay was a group of fellas who were just kind of like, I'm kind of tired of seeing you guys. I'm kind of tired of working with you guys. I'm kind of tired of trying to figure out how to get past this with you guys. It's about time for me to kind of, you know, collect my paycheck on the 15th and then go to Cancun, get with my wife, get with my girlfriend, get with my family, whatever, and just get away from you guys. Get away from this season. That's what I saw from the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday against um, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And my question, my curiosity is, and I'm quite sure it's yours too. Is like, what happened? What, what what happened to that team that was ten and one? What happened to that team that had beaten Miami and Dallas and Kansas City and Buffalo, four playoff teams in a five game stretch? What happened to Jalen Hurts was considered an MVP? What happened to a defense that was ranked third against the run? What happened to a Philadelphia team that was averaging a, a league-high 14 points per game in the second half? What happened to the team that many people at that time thought was the best team in the NFL? What happened? What's going on? What happened between getting beat 42-19 to by the San Francisco 49ers? How much did that take out of them? A team going into that game that had won 25 of their previous 31 games, they get blasted by the 49ers, 42-19. Yeah, it was surprising. Yeah, it was shocking. Yeah, it was eye-opening. But to think that the impact of the game had that type of reverberation to the end of the season for the Philadelphia Eagles, that they would push them off a cliff like this? Was that the game? Was that the reason? The autopsy, it's, it's going to be interesting, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years from now when a book is written about this by Jason Kelsey or Jaden or Jalen Hurts or somebody, A.J. Brown on that team, when they kind of, or, or, or a beat writer or somebody from Philadelphia does a, does a book about the 2023 Philadelphia Eagles team, maybe we'll get some better insight. Maybe it will be a situation where after that game against the 49ers, that, that was the first time that the players really stopped believing in Nick Sirianni, the head coach. Maybe they stopped believing in the defensive schemes. Maybe they stopped believing in the offensive coordinator. Maybe they were jealous of all of the accolades and the attention that Jalen Hurts was getting. Maybe there was something else going on. Maybe it was Howie Rosen. Maybe it was the GM at that time who came down too hard. Maybe it was Jeffrey Lurie who came down too hard after that game and rubbed the team the wrong way. I don't know what it was. I have no idea. They lost to San Francisco 42-19. And again, you're sitting there going, well, okay, 
Philadelphia defending NFC champions. They got a great quarterback. The coach has Super Bowl experience. Yeah, it was one bad game, but hell, everybody had a bad game. Naming a team outside of the Miami Dolphins in 1972 and maybe the New England Patriots team who only lost one game when it was the Super Bowl. Name me another squad that had won the Super Bowl that had a successful year where they didn't run into a game like this, where they didn't have a game like this. Hey, man, a bad game. At a, at a bad time for the Philadelphia Eagles. But that's okay. They're still 10-2. They'll still be able to rebound from this. But after that, they lost to Dallas on the road, 33-13. Okay, Dallas was fired up. Dallas had something to prove. Dallas was undefeated at home. Dallas was a team in desperation. Um, you know, so, so, so maybe you could have spun that narrative to explain what happened to the Philadelphia Eagles. And again, we go back to what I always say, man. Go on YouTube. And watch those, um, watch those programs, America's Games, when they talk about the um, teams that have won the Super Bowl. There's an hour-long uh, recap or uh, from, from, from the teams that have won the Super Bowl. And they bring in the old players from that Super Bowl squad. And they talk about each of the games. And they speak about the dynamic. And they speak about the locker room. And they speak about the trials and tribulations, the highs and the lows and the good times, the journey that it took for them to win a Super Bowl. And it's like, okay, each one of those squads, again, with the exception of the 1972 Miami Dolphins, each one of those guys that was speaking from, 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 you know, Bill Curry and Willie Davis speaking about the 1966 championship Green Bay Packer team all the way up to uh, today, all the way up to the last season's NBA, uh, NFL champions. They speak about strife. They speak about the journey. They speak about, you know, points in the road. Of that season where it could have gone left, but instead they went right. They could have gone right, instead they went left, which turned out to be the right decision, which turned out to be what they needed to do to win themselves a Super Bowl. So you you, you think about that. You're you're armed with that knowledge. You're armed with the knowledge of history concerning that, concerning these Super Bowl winning teams. And you say to yourself, okay, right now the Philadelphia Eagles are just going through a little rut, losing to San Francisco and then losing on the road to a highly motivated. Dallas Cowboy team. Okay, but they're still 10-3. and three. They'll ride the ship. This is not the first team that has been really good that has had bad losses, even consecutive bad losses. Then they lost on the road to Seattle 2017. Then the next week, they were less than impressive against the New York Giants, won in 33-25. I think at that time, the Giants were 5-10. and 10. And that's where you said, okay, even in victory, even when we think, okay, you know, hey, they go up Seattle, tough place to play, tough road game, they lose, blah, 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 blah. They'll, 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 write, they'll write things, they'll, they'll do the right thing. They'll get back on track in a win. They'll stop this losing streak against the New York Giants. And they won, they beat Tyron Taylor, but it's like, ugh, hmm, still something they write. And then... Hit rock bottom, public alarm going off, break glass in case of emergency. It has been broken in losing at home to Arizona 35-31. A Cardinals team that was 3-12. The Eagles were fighting to remain in first place in the NFC East. The Eagles allowed 29 points in the second half where I scored 29-10 in that half. Defense gave up 449 yards, allowed 221 yards rushing. Arizona had possession of the ball for almost 40 minutes. Alarm bells! Okay, now it's time to panic. Now it's time to look, I mean, now it's time to say, okay, can Philadelphia really turn this around? And that's where we really started talking about 
My goodness, is Philadelphia not even going to make it past the first round of the playoffs? Are we serious? Are we speaking about that? Then in the final game of the season, losing to the Giants 27-10, falling behind 24-0 at the half. Okay, Dallas was beating up on my commander, so there was no use of putting the starters in for the second half. And then against the wild, then in the wild card game, again against Tampa Bay, 32-9. The same team in week three, the Eagles playing Tampa in week three, the, the Eagles beat them 25-11, dominated them. Outgained them 472 yards to 174 yards, running 78 plays to 44 for Tampa Bay. And then in just one season, the turnaround like this was complete? You can't tell me because of that. Yeah, A.J. Brown didn't play because of an injury that he sustained the final weekend of the season. Yeah, Jalen Hurts was battling injuries with fingers and stuff. No, 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 no. That, that, that wasn't the situation. That game against Tampa Bay... That was not a situation where, yeah, they lost because A.J. Brown was injured and Jalen Hurts wasn't 100% or even 90%. No. No. The fight, the belief from the Philadelphia Eagles, it wasn't there. And through most of the game or through, what, the third quarter, they were in the game. This wasn't a situation where Tampa Bay jumped out to a league like the like the um, Green Bay Packers did against the Dallas Cowboys, which by then the second quarter, end of the first quarter, Philadelphia just said, fuck it, time to go to Cancun. No, this was almost a situation where Tampa Bay was almost inviting them. It was almost like, come on, Philadelphia, we're giving you a chance. We can't believe we'll go ahead after we score this touchdown. We'll go ahead and kick a field goal and then kick another field goal and then kick another field goal to put it within a score. Even on that two-point conversion, the Philadelphia Eagles couldn't even execute the, the, the Jalen Hurts push, the tush push, whatever you, want to, whatever you want to call it. They even couldn't get that through. A play that had worked almost every single time throughout the regular season. What happened to the Philadelphia Eagles? I don't know. You don't know because we're not inside that locker room. Yeah, all the excuses were there. All the excuses were there. Where they they lost uh, their two offense, they lost their offensive and defensive coordinator, and then there was no, 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 no. I can't. Th- th- those aren't excuses to explain a the collapse, the complete and utter collapse of the Philadelphia Eagles. Did did Nick Sirianni lose that locker room that quickly? A guy that had taken the Eagles to the NF, um, the the, the, the Super Bowl the year before. Would his decisions to, um, to to employ the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator were they, were they that were was it that bad of a move that it lost the locker room like that? That's a question that needs to be asked, and that's a question that I don't know. And, and I'm thinking to myself as I'm looking back, and I want you to do this. I want you to do this with me right now. Let's look back on the. Uh, season for the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Because remember when I was speaking about just a few moments ago about the 10-1 and Philadelphia Eagles, where they had just come off those impressive victories against those playoff teams, and Jalen Hurts was playing great, and the run defense was fantastic, and they're four, averaging 14 points per game in the second half, which was leading the league, and all of these fine things, and all of these glass-half-full um, stats that I was giving you. But really, let's take a look at the Philadelphia Eagles season. And let's take a look at some of the things that Jalen Hurts was saying about the team through the regular season as they were compiling 
this 10 and one record? What was the thing that he was saying time and time again and was echoed by many of his teammates? We're not playing our best football. We can play better. We haven't reached that point yet. And when you take a look at some of those victories and you take a look at some of those performances, you can say that. You can say, yeah, barely getting by the New England Patriots at the beginning of the season. Yeah, maybe it was a cause for alarm. Going into overtime and winning 37-34 against Sam Howell and my Washington Commanders at home. Yeah, maybe you could say that was sort of a situation where, okay, the one the game, champions find a way to win games, even if uh, they had an off day because that secondary really had an off day as Sam Howell was throwing footballs and gaining yards and touchdowns all over the field that day. There were instances like that where it was explained the way as, A, they won the football game because during that time, up to 11 games, they only lost to the New York Jets. Happened to all teams in terms of uh, having a bad loss, having a bad day at the office. But some of those things that maybe we should have been more attentive to in terms of, hmm, I wonder what's going on with this, was kind of not really put in our conscience because they were winning football games. And it was a situation where, let's go glass half full, they're winning football games, they have the best record in the league, and they haven't even played their best football yet. So, so maybe we were under the assumption that as the season went along and it got to be winning time, well, then maybe these Eagles, who had been to the Super Bowl the year before, who cared about the month of September? Who cared about the month of October? Who cared about the month of November? Because we made it to the Super Bowl. We know what it is to go to the Super Bowl. We know what it takes to make it to the Super Bowl. So the only thing left to do to accomplish, to need to do what we accomplish, to accomplish our goals, is to win the Super Bowl. We won the division. We won the conference. All of those things. Jalen Hurts proved that he is now a starting quarterback in the NFL that can lead a team to a Super Bowl, and he got paid for it. Check, check. Cash money, y'all. So we don't need, there's no one else on the Philadelphia Eagles team that individually needs to prove anything to anybody. So A.J. Brown killing himself in the regular season so he can be established as one of the best receivers in the game, that doesn't need to happen because A.J. Brown is already there. And he's getting paid like it. And an offense and defensive line who I thought during that streak was the most physical in the NFL crumbled. They had nothing left to prove. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, when it gets to winning time, despite the Eagles not being on the same level, despite the fact that Jalen Hurts was not on the same level as he was last season, was really not a big scare for me, was really not a big red flag for me. Why? Because it was a situation the Denver Nuggets are going through this right now. In terms of, look, we won the NBA championship. Why do we give a damn about winning basketball games in the NBA in uh, February or in January, uh, some back-to-back night in Indiana. Why do we care about that? We already know what it takes to win a championship. We already know what it takes to win a, um, a, a playoff game. Now, again, the Eagles did not win a championship. Again, they know what it took to got to get there. So, so now it's a situation where it's kind of like, okay, let's kind of give them a little bit of a pass. Let's kind of give them a little bit of a, you know, of a glass half full type of perspective because when it's time for winning time, when it's time to get serious, we know that the Philadelphia Eagles know what it takes to get there. The Dallas Cowboys, they don't. The, the, the Detroit Lions, they don't. 
The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they don't. At the time, the Atlanta Falcons, they don't. The Green Bay Packers, they don't. All of these other teams that we're speaking about who either were in playoff contention or are in the playoffs right now, they haven't reached the same level of success recently that the Philadelphia Eagles had. So yes, 10-1, still winning games, not playing up to their best, relax. We got this under control. Ooh, they got blown out by San Francisco. Relax. They got this under control because they, ooh, they lost to Dallas. Well, Dallas was, Dallas was playing for something. Dallas was really motivated. Re, ooh, they lost to uh, Seattle. Re, it's going to Seattle, hard road trip. The Philadelphia Eagles know what's going on. Ooh, man, they didn't look good against the uh, New York Giants. Don't worry about it. They'll get it together. And, oh, they lost to the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, now it's time to figure out what the hell's going on. That was the autopsy. That was that was what's going on for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, man. And again, it was it was interesting. We don't know exactly what happened. You don't know exactly what happened. But hey, we took a look at some of the things where they were ten and one. Man, the defense is playing great. Yeah, against the run, against the pass, they were putrid. They were ranked 29th at the time that they were ten and one. They were giving up the second most passing touchdowns in the NFL at that time. They were at the bottom of the league in takeaways. And for the entire season, Philadelphia finished 26 in total defense, giving up 356 yards per game. They finished the season 29th, only behind my sorry-ass Washington Commanders in pass defense, giving up 252 yards per game. They finished the Eagles 28th in points allowed, giving up 25 points per game. So maybe it was a situation where... It was right in front of our faces, but we were making excuses to say we shouldn't be concerned. This is no big deal when the evidence to the contrary was staring us right in the face. So when you speak about Philadelphia Eagles, man, because I want to ask you, because I know that you're a Philadelphia Eagle fan. I know that you care about it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about about, uh, next season? What about Nick Sirianni? Should he be fired? Did he lose the locker room? Exactly when and how. I mean, the impact of Shane Steichen, offensive coordinator who did a great job at Indianapolis. Defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, coaching the Arizona Cardinals. What's the loss of those coordinators? What 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 happened? What's going on? Where are we going to go from here? Are we going to go get Bill at that, that seems to be the, the, the that seemed to be the panacea for every, for all of these teams, right? When you're speaking about the Cowboys, when you're speaking about the Eagles, go out and get themselves Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick will solve the problems. What problems were there? Well, he'll come in and he'll fix the culture and all this. All right. What's he going to do to fix that run defense? What's he going to do? Has the league caught up? Caught up is the wrong word. How closer has the league come to solving the riddle, which is Jalen Hurts. Todd Bowles sort of looked like he had the uh, he had the uh, solution to that as he continued to blitz and to blitz and to blitz Jalen Hurts over and over and over again. And Devonta Smith was the only one of the receivers, along with the uh, tight end Gabbert, who kind of stepped up. Again, they were missing A.J. Brown, but is, is firing Nick Sirianni going to be the the thing that gets it done? Is Bill Belichick going to do for the Philadelphia Eagles what John Gruden did for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when he replaced Tony Dungy? 
Tony Dungy who couldn't get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the hump because it uh, got them to the NFC Championship game against St. Louis where they lost a very close game. Then after a couple of year lean years, and when I say lean years, didn't get back to that point. They went ahead and got themselves John Gruden, who in this first year led that team, Tampa Bay, to the NFL championship, basically doing it with Tony Dungy players. Is Bill Belichick going to lead the Philadelphia Eagles to the NFL championship, to the Super Bowl championship with Nick Sirianni's players, with Howie Roseman's players? Is he going to do what Barry Switzer did with the Dallas Cowboys, take Jimmy Johnson's players and lead them to their last Super Bowl 28 years ago? Is that going to be the plan? Is that what you want to have happen in terms of the idea of bringing in a Bill Belichick? Because I don't know if there's any other coach out there that's available in what many people are saying is the best head coaching free agency class in NFL history outside of Bill Belichick. I don't know if there's anybody else out there. I don't know if Jim Harbaugh can do that and all the other ones. I don't know if Mike Vrabel can do that or at least the ones who have the best opportunity, the best chance to do that. Bill Belichick, you would perceive to be that guy. But isn't it interesting? Bill Belichick, right? First, how how quickly... How interesting is it that we go from the narrative, for some, for some, not all, but for some. It's interesting that we go from the, well, Bill Belichick, see, I told you, he couldn't do anything without Tom Brady. You saw what he did in Cleveland. You saw what happened once Tom Brady left the New England Patriots. See, Bill Belichick was writing Tom Brady's coattails. You see that? You see that? You see that? It's interesting, the narrative of those who bring that out there, and they're in the minority. But it's interesting for those who bring out that narrative, but then all of a sudden say, well, the Cowboys, if they want to win a Super Bowl, they've got to get Bill, Bill, Bill Belichick. Well, if, if, I mean, if New England, this, this, this screams that you're the Philadelphia Eagles, Jeffrey Lurie, you got to go out and you got to get Bill Belichick. He's the only one that can save the day. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you, you were speaking a little bit before about Bill Belichick was riding the coattails of um, Tom Brady. So so, where are we at here? Because if, if that's going to be the case, if you're going to use that flimsy, ignorant uh, reason in terms of the downgrade, the greatness of Bill Belichick, well then, Tom Brady ain't coming through them doors for the Philadelphia Eagles. He ain't coming through them doors for the Dallas Cowboys. If it, and if he is, it's only, going to be, it's only going to be to call them games for CBS or Fox, whoever, whoever he's going to be broadcasting with next uh, season. He ain't going to be there to play quarterback, I can tell you that much. And if he is going to be there to play quarterback for those teams, let me tell you something. They ain't going to be winning the Super Bowl. You might as well stick with Dak Prescott. You might as well stick with Jalen Hurts because 45, 46-year-old Tom Brady ain't going to get it done even though he ain't returning to the NFL. So for those who want to center the argument in terms of Bill Belichick, let's downgrade, let's minimize his greatness due to the fact that he won nothing without Tom Brady, then all of a sudden turn around and talk about, well, he's going to be the savior for two teams that are ready to win Super Bowls. I don't know. I don't know where you go with that. I don't know what to do about that. My stance, my opinion, my thoughts on Bill Belichick has always been the fact that I think he's one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. His record speaks for itself. With or without Tom Brady. And I think that Bill Belichick, who... I believe his, what Bill Belichick wants to do, he wants to take over a talented, young, uh, underwhelming, not meeting expectation teams. Now, Philadelphia is one of the oldest teams in the NFL. One of the reasons why he was going down and he already has interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons, speaking of Bill, uh, uh, Belichick, 
But when you're speaking about a guy who's 71 years old, as great as he is, I don't think Belichick is in it for the long run in terms of five, six, seven, eight years. So if you're speaking about a team, like I mentioned before, my Washington commanders, right? They've got their GM, president of football operations, rip roaring, ready to go. The commanders have a high draft pick number two. They have a whole lot of uh, cap room. They have a couple of uh, skill players that they, they, you can that uh, that are usable. I don't want Bill Belichick as my coach because I want someone who's going to be there for the long term. I want someone who's going to be able to grow that culture and be able to sustain it like a Matt LaFleur has done with the uh, Green Bay Packers, like Kevin O'Connell has done with the Minnesota Vikings. I don't want someone who at 71 years old who's going to be there maybe three or four years because for this rebuilding project and for me, rebuilding, the definition of rebuilding for me is not only to build it from the ground up or not not just to go from worst to first or this, that, and the other, but it's also to sustain excellence for a number of years, which means that it's going to take a few years to build an organization to build a culture in which it can be sustained for then another four, five, six years. So I want a 10-year window at the very least, or at the very most, shall I say. I want a 10-year window where we're going to build, and then once we reach a level where we'll be able to compete for championships, I want that window to stay open for another four to five years. So if it takes two to three years, unless... Look, you can take a look at the Houston Texans and say that they have, um, you know, they, they have pushed the uh, Express on their build rebuilding project. And yes, we, we, we've seen this all the time, especially when you're speaking about NFL teams. We've seen teams be able to build quickly. We saw what the Detroit Lions have done in a short amount of time from where they were to where they are now and the expectations that they'll have moving forward for the next couple of years. We've seen what happens with a team like the um, Houston Texans, who for a three-year stretch very recently was the worst team in the NFL record-wise. And we see now with C.J. Stroud and the Miko Ryans and Will Anderson Jr. and the foundation and the culture that Ryan has brought to that program to see where the Houston Texans are now. There have been examples like the Cincinnati Bengals, where they started when they drafted Joe Burrow, to where they are now and the expectations year in and year out that Zach Wilson has for that program. So, yes, in the NFL, much more than the NBA or baseball or anything like that, you can get you can rebuild quicker than the others. But my deal is all about sustainability. And I don't think in terms of what I'm looking for for the possible hope of sustainability of excellence or competing for championship with my commanders does not lie in the hands of a 71-year-old Hall of Fame legendary coach like Bill Belichick. If you're looking at the Cowboys, if you're looking at the Eagles, okay, because they're they're ready to win now. They're ready to win Super Bowls now. They have the talent and the expectations now. Not just to win for 2024, but also for 25, 26, 27. And when you're speaking about Belichick, being as old as he is, 71, 72 years old, yeah, you're looking at 2024, 25, 26, 27, that's about Belichick being 75 years old, 76 years old, that, that should be enough for him. 
to be able to really supplant his legacy or really to um, uh, grow roots or really to uh, strengthen his legacy of how great that he is. The possibility to pass George Hallis as the all-time winningest coach in NFL history. What's left to be done for Belichick, Belichick after that? But all of that is to get to the whole Sirianni thing with the Philadelphia Eagles in terms of where they need to go next and also with the Dallas Cowboys. Because the Cowboys, the Cowboys, the Cowboys, how about them Cowboys? What in the world was that against the Green Bay Packers? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was, when, when we speak about, when people throw out the argument, which team was more disappointing? Which, more, which team are you more surprised went out so feebly? The Philadelphia Eagles or the Dallas Cowboys? Well, you could maybe say that the, we, we saw this coming with the Philadelphia Eagles because of their losing streak, but it was no less of a shock. But nobody saw this coming against the Dallas Cowboys. No one saw this coming in terms of the Dallas Cowboys losing like they did, right? You didn't see this. I don't care, man. You could talk about hating the Cowboys and this, that, and the other. You didn't see this. You were hoping in your wildest dreams of hating the Cowboys, of loathing the Dallas Cowboys, in your wildest dreams, the thing that you could just dream about, be euphoric about, be happy about, be gay and giddy about, with them winning, with uh, the Green Bay Packers winning, but not winning like this. <laughs> I mean, not winning in a way where it was just so head-scratchingly like, what the hell is going on here? Green Bay scored on their first possession, built a 20-point lead by halftime, 48-32, in a game that basically wasn't that close. I believe what one time it was 48-16, before the Packers really took the uh, pedal off the metal. Packers scored touchdowns on six of their first seven possessions. The Cowboys' defense, allowing only 16 points per game at home, were drugged. Dallas is the first team to win at least 12 games in three consecutive playoff seasons without making a conference title game. Ouch. Jordan Love, 16 for 21, 272 yards, three touchdowns. The game was so out of whack. The game was so non-competitive. The game was so much of a blowout. The, the Cowboys defense was so embarrassing, was so inept, that, that, that normally, I don't know what to make of Jordan Love after this. If the Cowboys and the Packers would have played that game and the Packers would have won, say, 28-24, and Jordan Love in the fourth quarter of the game came down as they were down 24-21 and led the team to a game-winning touchdown drive under 50 seconds, under 30 seconds, under 15 seconds, right? The narrative about Jordan Love would be so much more... Not, not, the word isn't positive, but the, 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 the Jordan Love would be thought of so much higher than he is right now, even though he was fantastic in his first playoff game. Yes, Jordan Love is getting kudos. Yes, Jordan Love is getting praise. Yes, Jordan Love is getting the high fives. Yes, Jordan Love is getting the accolades. No doubt about it. But for me, it's almost like, yes, Jordan Love has arrived to the party in terms of being one of the better quarterbacks in the league. But where do we put him? What do, what what seat do we give him at the table based on his performance against the Cowboys, but also you have to factor in the for, the performance that the Cowboys gave. 
I think we'll get even a more of a better understanding of what Jordan Love is as a quarterback this upcoming weekend when he plays the San Francisco 49ers. I think that game is going to be more impactful in terms of where we rank Jordan Love as a quarterback because when you only throw 21 times, when you're already up 20 nothing, 28-7 or 27-7 and all this type of nonsense, we, we don't get to see Jordan Love have those type of moments that make me say, that make you say, that make everybody say, that make people who speak these words for six figures, seven figures on television, who know the game, who speak the game, who follow the game, who scout the game. Jordan Love didn't have that, ah, he's here. Ah, that's the moment. He didn't have... He didn't have Joe Montana NFC Championship game against the uh, 49ers pass to Dwight Clark in the back end of the left end zone over Everson Walls type of a moment. Just yet. Just yet. Maybe he will against the 49ers. Maybe he will moving forward in the next year or two. But to to, uh, coordinate Jordan Love as that guy, as that quarterback, okay, now we're going to put him with the Mahomes. Now we're going to put him with the Burroughs. Now we're going to put him with the Allens. Now we're going to put him with these quarterbacks. Whoa, based on that, based on the guy who only had to throw the ball 21 times and after the first quarter had that nice, big, juicy, fat lead to him? Hold on for a second. Before we start grading the greatness of quarterbacks, maybe we should have the qualification to be a little bit harder than what the Cowboys put out for Jordan Love to try to achieve to obtain that moniker because that was putrid. That was horrible. That was uh, everything and all those things wrapped into one, what the Cowboys did. And also, when you have Aaron Jones run for 118 yards and 21 carries and three touchdowns, that running game, it was more also of the performance that the Green Bay Packers did, not albeit with the uh, with uh, um, Jordan Love. Everybody deserves kudos. The running game, the passing game, the defense, everything. This wasn't Jordan Love putting his team on his back. Jordan Love having that, oh gosh golly moment. Jordan Love having that, we need to play Jordan, please make it. Oh shit, he made it. No, it, it, it wasn't that. Maybe it will be. Maybe it will be. Who knows? But I'm not ready to anoint Jordan Love as move over Patrick Mahomes. Move over Lamar Jackson. Move over Lamar Jackson. I'm not ready to anoint uh, when or many people are starting to anoint in terms of the, the best of the best. Something that I brought up in my last podcast. Is it time for Patrick Mahomes to make some room for Lamar Jackson as being the face of the NFL after the performance, after the season that Jackson had this season. Well, we have to, he has to win a playoff game first. I'll get to that in, in, in the next segment. But, uh, yeah, getting back to the Cowboys, man, I I don't know. Remember I was speaking about on my last podcast that this is going to be the most important game for Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott. Prescott performance on Sunday, Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, on Sunday, Monday. He was all right. He wasn't the reason why they lost. He definitely wasn't the reason why. I mean, the game was so out of hand. I don't know what Dak could have done. The defense was playing so poorly. I don't know exactly what Dak could have done to rally the troops. Now, his pick six interception didn't help. Finished the game 41 of 60, 403 yards, three meaningless touchdowns, two interceptions. Again, one return for a touchdown. Those 403 yards, I had to say probably about 280 to 300 were meaningless. Once it got down 48 to 16, it was just stat padding time. So, look, man, I don't, I don't know where the organization goes after this game. Well, I know where those guys were going after the game. Some were going home. Some were going back to their uh, 
uh, to their vacation home. Some are going back to their home base in the offseason. But in terms of the organization, in terms for next season, in terms of the expectations, in terms of the job securities, in terms of the employment of some of these guys, I don't know. And I know that we're speaking about mainly Mike McCarthy. I don't know. I don't know what happens to this guy. Jerry Jones is 81 years old. Jerry Jones, it's got to bother him, right? 28 seasons and counting since them Cowboys won a Super Bowl. I mean, what's left for him at 81 years old? He's already in the Hall of Fame. Don't ask me, don't ask me how a guy like Jerry Jones, based on his football acumen, gets into the Hall of Fame is for what he did to really bring back the panace for the Dallas Cowboys. But for the most part, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's a billionaire many times over. Got himself a football team. He got himself a football stadium. If he drops dead tomorrow, I'm not wishing or hoping or praying that Jerry Jones drops dead tomorrow and let the Lord says it's time for you to drop dead tomorrow. But I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, Nick Saban, I love the... Um, quote that he made if you want to enjoy something for an hour eat a steak if you want to enjoy something for a day play around the golf if you want to enjoy something for a week go on a cruise if you want to be remembered for a lifetime ask the question if you die or don't show up somewhere tomorrow is anybody going to miss your ass well jerry jones has accomplished if jerry jones dies tomorrow again unless the lord says it's time for me to take you and bring you to heaven or hell wherever you're going But if Jerry Jones drops dead tomorrow, there's enough of a legacy for Jerry Jones in terms of Jerry Jones, what he did, for his name to resonate and be impactful for generations and generations and generations and generations. There's only one asterisk, that country boy from Alabama, or excuse me, from Arkansas, who started off going to uh, Central High School and being in a picture where they were booing and heckling those who were trying to integrate to playing for the University of Arkansas with Jimmy Johnson, then going ahead and striking oil and becoming a billionaire to where we call him Mr. Jones. Grown men, elderly men, people of his own generation, people of his own age group. We don't call him Jerry. We don't call him Jerry. We call him Mr. Jones. Mr. Mr. Jones. He's got that thing going on. Namely, he's rich. But um, he's left that legacy. The only thing left for Jerry Jones to do in his life is to win that Super Bowl. How desperate is he going to be to get it? Will he be desperate enough to fire a coach which which has won 12 games for three seasons in a row? Is he desperate enough to maybe go after a Bill Belichick? Is he desperate enough not only to hire a Bill Belichick, but to step back just a little bit? Just a little bit? Just a little bit? What is Jerry Jones willing to do? Now, Coach Pat Jones and Eric G said that um, one of the reasons with Bill with uh, um, Bill Parcells, the two years that he has, he uh, employed Bill Parcells as the coach were two of the miserable, most miserable years of his football life because it was Bill Parcells, and Bill Parcells had the cachet, Bill Parcells had the resume, Bill Parcells had the golden jacket, Bill Parcells had the Bill Parcells to say, Jerry, this is what I'm doing, get the fuck out of my face. Of course, it only lasted two seasons, right? The two most miserable years of his football life. Okay, so let me ask you a question, Mr. Jones. 
Do you want, is winning a Super Bowl going to be miserable for you? If it's all about you wanting to be the man, if it's all, if it's about you playing NFL GM and owner and all that type of stuff, well then go for it. But realize this, do you want to continue what you're doing and not win a championship or to step back a little bit, have Bill Belichick take over the ring, the reins, have you win a championship and then you'll be immortalized even more. What's it going to be? Because hiring another Mike McCarthy, hiring another Jason Garrett, hiring another Dave Campo, hiring someone that's just going to let you do what you want to do, play NFL GM, be that guy, be the center of attention, it ain't going to get it done. I don't know how many years of proof do you need? What's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. There hasn't been different results for 28 years, Mr. Jones. Mr. Mr. Jones, how long are you going to play this game? How badly do you want to win a Super Bowl? And look, I'm not saying you hire Bill Belichick and then you go off into your yacht and hang out on the uh, beach or whatever. You can still be there. You can still have the spotlight on you. But just say, hey, you know what? I'm 81 years old. I don't know how much more time I have left. Bill, do your thing. Win me that championship, and then I can go back to being my being my uh, my old self. Because that's the only thing left on his resume. Maybe not just in football, but also in his life that he cares about. So interesting. So that's for for Mike McCarthy. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means because right now Jerry Jones' legacy is the fact that. Um, He's never won a championship. Since making their last appearance in the conference championship in 1995, the Cowboys have eight one-and-done playoff appearances. They've done it at the number one seed in 2007 and 2016, and now at the number two seed. So so how long are we going to put up with, how long are we going to put up with these shenanigans? Please spare me the masquerade, Mr. Jones. Mike McCarthy. I mean, yeah, you can do the Wade Phillips. But then also, you can also say this. Okay, if we don't get Bill Belichick. Let's say Bill Belichick says thanks, but no thanks. Again, who's going to be out there? Which coach that's a free agent right now that you can hire that A, is going to win you a championship, and B, is going to be able to win you a championship doing it your way? Because I don't think Mike Vrabel would be interested in that job. I don't think Jim Harbaugh would be interested in that job. So we're, we're, we're speaking about the three known commodities in terms of the, the ranking the top three coaches for um, for being your next head coach, right? Yeah, I know there's Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for Detroit, and there's others, coordinators and stuff. But when you're speaking about proven NFL coaches, when you're speaking about on the market right now needing a job, and you're speaking about one of the best coaches who's ever done it, when you're speaking about a guy in Jim Harbaugh who's coming off a national championship in college and took an NFL team to an NFL Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers, and when you're speaking about a coach like Mike Vrabel who took little, who took chicken shit and turned it into chicken salad, with the Tennessee Titans, maybe didn't get him to a Super Bowl, but with the talent that he had, he did wonders with them. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And are those guys the right piece to go to, to, to do so? 
Are those guys going to be a better fit for the Cowboys culture and organization? Because the culture, it's going to be hard for those guys to really put in their culture for these established coaches because the culture of the Dallas Cowboys is Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones, for the longest time, has said over and over and over again, he will not acquiesce. And there's always coaches out there that we don't know that could be great coaches. Who knew Matt LaFleur, before he became the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, would be successful as he would be as a head coach? Who would have thought Dan Campbell? Remember that press conference with Dan Campbell? He was talking about, he was talking about biting ankles and all that kind of stuff. And we snickered and we sneered. And we was like, come on, man, really? What, what, is this? what is this? Showtime at the Motown Apollo? I mean, what, what is this clown doing right here? Are the four really serious? bringing this guy. Dan Campbell had no qualifications. Dan Campbell had no resume which predicted that he would be doing this, right? So who knows? I don't know who's out there. Who said that Brian, Who said that Ben Johnson is going to be the end-all, the be-all? Who says that Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, or Jim Harbaugh is going to turn around any NFL program that they uh, become employed with? Or whatever franchise employs them to be their head coach. There's no guarantee. Death and taxes, my man, my lady. Those are the only two things that are guaranteed in this life. So, you know, those are some of the discussions. Those are some of the things that we that, that, that are going to be talked about when you're speaking about, man, who's going to be the next coach of the uh, Dallas Cowboys? Because, man, if you fire Mike McCarthy, the last time a coach won 10 games in the season was fired after it was in 2014, when the Denver Broncos parted ways with John Fox, how many Super Bowls had John? How many Super Bowls had the Denver Broncos won since 2014? Peyton Manning and that defense were the only reason why in 2015. Two years earlier, the Bears fired Lovey Smith after going six, uh, ten and six. Now they didn't make the playoffs, but how well have the the, the uh, Chicago Bears have been since they fired Lovey Smith? Marty Schottenheimer was fired after going 14 and two in 2006 with the uh, San Diego Chargers. How have the Chargers been since they fired Marty Schottenheimer in 2006? How many Super Bowls have they won? How many division titles with Phillip Rivers, with Damian Tomlinson, with um, with Antonio Gates have they won? So be careful. Be careful. There was a report from NFL Jane Salter, who was reporting after the uh, cow- in the Cowboys locker room after the game against Green Bay to basically report that she was talking about, hey, man, she was talking to uh, the players in the... Um, the Dallas Cowboys players, they, they're they still behind Mark McCarthy. They didn't quit on the coach. I mean, this was a bad game at the worst possible time. So there wasn't any evidence of this coming around in terms of, well, you know, um, there was a there were mitigating factors that led to this implosion um, against the Packers. There were other things going on. There was dissension amongst the ranks. There was jealousy. There was people were upset with Micah Parsons. People were upset with uh, Dak Prescott. People were upset with uh, Dan Quinn. The thought of Dan Quinn living, leaving to become a head coach somewhere else took, you know, had the defense in disarray and that that you know trickled down to Mike McCarthy and the trust was broken and all this type of stuff that you hear five, ten years down the road when the books are written about what happened to certain sports teams during a season or uh, a story written on Yahoo, a story written on CBS Sports, a story written in The Athletic, a sports story written on ESPN.com, uh, you know, a 2,000 word story speaking about this is what really happened. Behind the scenes, take a look, right? What led to 
the dismissal? What led to the New England Patriots, the relationship being broken between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick? There's a long story about that on ESPN.com. There's no story with the Dallas Cowboys. I believe, if you're going to believe the reporting of Salter, that says that this was inevitable. This was bound to happen. Or this was an opportunity. This was a chance that this was going to happen. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm just glad I don't have to worry about doing that type of nonsense and speaking about that type of nonsense and making those type of decisions. Even though you give me Jerry Jones's money, hello, I'm not worried about that anyway. I'll turn the reins over to Bill Belichick, get back on my yacht, see what I can do to get me some females between the ages of 42 and 47 and have myself a ball cruising the world. So there you go. All right, I'm going to go ahead and take a boogie break because we still got some other wild card games to speak, speak about, right? We got to talk about the Detroit Lions within their first game, playoff game in 30 years. We got to talk about Kansas City. Are they really contenders? How much can you take away from that beatdown that they gave Miami? One team looked like that they were ready to face the element to do what they had to do. The other was talking about, hey, man, we should just go back to the beach and just hang out and chill. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to talk about. What's going to be happening in terms of uh, that? What's going to be happening with C.J. Stroud and the uh, Houston Texans? Uh, is Mike Tomlin going to be back for the Pittsburgh Steelers next year? Is he still walking down the street somewhere after he walked out that press conference when that woman asked him about his uh, about the year left on this contract or his contract ending? All of those things that we will discuss and then some. It's going to be a long one. It's going to be a long one. So get up, move and groove, get on down. The music's going to be funky. The music is going to be great. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Windows World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Thank you so much for joining us, speaking about what's happening this past wild card weekend. Um, some good stuff, man, some good stuff. Let's go ahead and get right back to it. Kansas City over Miami, 26-7. Patrick Mahomes threw for 262 yards. Rasheed Rice caught eight passes for 130 yards in the touchdown. Isaiah Pacheco. Rushed for 89 yards on 24 carries and a touchdown. Hey, man, it was a situation where I think Kansas City was mentally, physically tougher than Miami, right? When you had 409 total yards for Kansas City compared to 264 for Miami, when the Dolphins go 1 for 12 on third down and average only 4.5 yards per 39 pass attempts, we, we saw that domination. We saw a team, I think, in Kansas City that said that, okay, 
yeah, it's going to be tough to play out here. The weather, it's going to suck. Uh, it's going to be cold. But um, we need what we need to do to get through it. So by any means necessary, let's go ahead and get this done. Special dedication to the greatest of them all, Malcolm X. But using that phrase, let's, you know, by any means necessary, let's get it done. And the Dolphins were like, well, it's cold. We really don't want to be here. Maybe they just started rationalizing. Maybe the cold brought them into the realization, their, their, their rationalization, their reality of, okay, do I really want to go through this? How many times do I want to go through this? Because we're the sixth seed, so in all intent and purposes, we're probably going to have to play another game like this, whether it be against Buffalo or or, or then maybe Baltimore. But the bottom line is, we're going to be facing these elements possibly for the next two weeks after this. Do I really want to deal with this bullshit? Do I really want to deal with this nonsense? Do I really want to deal with any of this stuff? And what really are the chances of us getting through this the way our defense has been banged up and depleted because of injuries? How much real, How much of a chance do we really have to really get where we want to get? Probably none. So let's just kind of go out here, go through the motions, um, just survive. We're not, worried, we're not worried about winning. All we want to do is try to survive the elements and get out of here and focus on next year. That's what it looked like to me. I don't know. I wasn't on the sidelines. I didn't have a chance to uh, talk to any of those guys. I don't know. But from, you know, 1,500, 2,000 miles away, looking at it from a TV screen on Peacock, that's what it looked like to me. So I've we've, we, we've always said this. It's interesting because when you take a look at teams that were similar from the AFC and from the NFC, we would usually match up during the regular season the Miami Dolphins from the AFC with the Dallas Cowboys from the NFC, right? Don't you think? I mean, they were, they were the teams with the most questions even though they were playing. You know, the record might have indicated otherwise in terms of how much of a prospect they could be to win a championship. Because we saw the Dolphins. Oh my goodness gracious, through four games, they were fantastic. If they, they were the team of September. If this was college football rankings, if they had if the NFL had the same rules as college football, the Miami Dolphins would be the number one ranked team after three or four games, right? After that seventy to twenty beatdown that they put on the Denver Broncos, right? Dallas comes out and shuts out and obliterates the uh, Miami excuse me, the um, uh, New York Jets. And then the uh, New York Giants, and oh my goodness, this defense might be the greatest thing to slice bread and blah, 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 blah. But as the season went on, despite the fact that they were winning, it was a situation where it was like, okay, now let's take a look at the losses for each one of these teams. And we'll, 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 we'll go to the Miami Dolphins because we talked about the Dallas Cowboys in the last uh, segment. So let's concentrate on the Miami Dolphins. All of their losses, what, what was the main thing that you took away in those losses? They were outmuscled. They were out-hustled. They were out-physicaled. Um, they, they were the punching bag. The other team perceived to be the bully, and the Miami Dolphins were the ones who weren't responding to the bullying. And we saw that time and time again. And the same, and, and, and to say this about Tua, I, I don't like... I don't like... I, I, how can I put this? Because you have Bill Walsh, you have other great innovators, and offense wins game, but... Um, I like teams that are going to tell you what you're going to do, what we're going to do for the most part. And it's just a matter of, are you man enough to stop it? 
I like teams that like to try to beat you up and see if you're man enough to stop it. And, and I think when you take a look at certain positions, what do I like about a quarterback? What do most people like about quarterbacks? What makes an elite quarterback is how much can they improvise, right? And, and unless you have the brain of a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning, two guys that weren't very elusive, but they all do the answers to the test because of their genius, because of their work ethic, because of their preparation and, and, and their dedication and passion to the game, that they didn't need 4-3 speed, they didn't need elusiveness, they didn't need to be uh, jumping around in the pocket and making defenders miss to be improvising and making up plays. As far as the athletic ability is concerned, they did that with their mind and mentals because their physicals were not at that point where they could do that. With Tua, Tua's great when everything is going great. You got Jaden Waddle, you got um, you got Tyreek Hill, you got a great play caller in um, Mike McDaniel. So when everything is going great, when everything is on target, when everything is on pace, when everything is on time, yeah, Tua looks fantastic. But what happens when Tua needs to improvise? What happens when the conditions aren't perfect? What happens in those situations? Tua, who for most of the season was a top six, top five NFL candidate, along with Dak Prescott, he doesn't play nearly as well. Now, now you could apply that to any quarterback. I don't care how great they are. Yes, when, yes, even Patrick Mahomes. Yes, even Joe Burrow. Yes, even Josh Allen. Yes, even Lamar Jackson. Yes, when things aren't going perfectly. When things aren't running perfectly, they're not going to do as well as when things are running perfectly. Duh! I get that. I understand that. But those guys, Herbert, those guys can consistently still make plays when things are broken down. We saw how well Patrick Mahomes can improvise. Even though they lost that game against Detroit, we saw Matthew Stafford improvising his ass off with no-look passes and underhanded passes, and passing at all arm angles and such, right, when plays were breaking down. We've seen Lamar Jackson when the pocket collapses, not only before being able to make plays with his feet, with his legs, but now being able to make it with his mind as well as his physicals. Tua Tungvaloa has not showed us that yet. And I don't know if he has the physical talent in terms of his athletic ability or his arm strength to do so. I mean, when you have, I mean, people will point to, yeah, he might not have the strongest arm, but take a look at Drew Brees. Okay, Drew Brees and who else? Drew Brees is an outlier. (laughs) Not everybody is going to be Drew Brees. That's why Drew Brees is a generational great. That's the reason why Drew Brees is going to be going into the Hall of Fame first ballot. That's why Drew Brees is one of the best quarterbacks who's ever played played the game, because despite of his deficiencies in terms of his athleticism and arm strength, his others, his other intangibles and his mind and his others make up for that and put him in a category very few has achieved. Tua Tungvaloa does not have that or he has not shown that yet. So if you're the Miami Dolphins, what do you do moving forward with that? So, you know, for, for Kansas City, that game again. How much do we take from that game against the uh, Dolphins? Kansas City's back. Really? Are you sure? 
this is going to be the first time now this game against Buffalo coming up that uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to be on the road. Are you ready to say that Kansas City is back? I mean, a game like that, well, yeah, Mahomes did well. Yeah, there weren't any obvious drops. Yeah, I know that uh, Travis Kelsey dropped a couple of uh, eh, pretty catchable balls, but, I mean, you know, they weren't perfect, and you're speaking about inclement weather, so we don't know how much that played. And and, and, and Travis Kelsey is not a guy who is typical of the uh, Kansas City receiving core for the most part in terms of dropping passes. So that was an aberration more than something that we should be concerned about in terms of Travis Kelsey dropping passes. But yeah, Rasheed Rice, who has far and away been the best wide receiver for Kansas City, caught eight passes, 130 yards, and a touchdown. That a touchdown, that's great. That, that That's wonderful. But you take a look at all the other Kansas City receivers, they ain't do much. Rice caught eight passes. Kelsey caught seven passes for 70 yards. The only other Kansas City wide receiver who had more than one catch was Justin Watson, who had two for 20 yards. The other wide receivers or tight ends, Noah Gray, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Richie James, McCole Harleman Jr., they all combined to catch four passes for for, uh, 37 yards. How is that going to play moving forward against against the Buffalo Bills? And again, playing against Josh Allen on the road. For that Kansas City defense, a lot different than playing against the Miami Dolphins in terms of not only the not only the, the the quarterback. When you take a look at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of the physical being between Tua and Josh Allen, but also how are the Chiefs or how is Kansas City going to cope going on the road and again relying on that defense to win them a, a, a football game. Speak about that in the next segment. Detroit over the Los Angeles Rams. Lions winning their first playoff game for the first time in 32 years, beating Matthew Stafford in the Los Angeles Rams 24-23. Jared Goff, he's a quarterback, y'all. 22-27, 277 yards and a touchdown pass. When Jared Goff plays well, the Detroit Lions play well. Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, that defense has gotten better, but... You're still going to have to rely on that offense to win games. Yes, I know Aiden Hutchinson made his first Pro Bowl this season, but still, we're speaking about a team in Detroit that's going to have to rely on his offense that filters back to Jared Goff when he throws interceptions, when he's not holding on to the football, see the game against the Dallas Cowboys, see the game against the Baltimore Ravens, they lose. And a game in which Jared Goff needed to be great because Matthew Stafford was really, really, really good. Jared Goff was great. Again, 22 or 27, 277 yards of the touchdown. I I came into the game thinking, man, is this game going to be too big for the um, Detroit Lions? All this stuff about, oh my goodness, you know, Eminem is there and Barry Sanders is there and Calvin Johnson is there and the big hype and first time and we had to go through the nonsense and we had to go through the bullshit and we had to go through the, oh, this guy has been a Detroit native since he was since 1947 and he had seen so many bad football teams and he was there for every game of the Detroit Lions even when they went 0-16 and now he's 78 years old or 87 years old and before he dies, you just want to see Detroit Lions win a, win a Super Bowl or win a playoff game. This is awesome and this is unbelievable. And the city has taken the hold of this team and they treated it like their own because their team um, is, is similar to the city itself. It's tough, it's rough, and Dan Campbell's our hero and blah, blah, blah. 
all of this narrative, all of this nonsense, and I'm like, Jesus, will y'all just shut the fuck up and play the game? But I thought that my all of that, all of that, that 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 that, that talk, and all of those hopes and dreams being put on this Lions franchise and these players. I thought going into the game, or I thought when the game started, okay, let's see if the narrative of, oh my goodness gracious, first game, first playoff game in 32 years, and you've got every, you know, every every great Detroit person who's ever lived in Detroit, born in Detroit. you got Marshall, Marshall Matters and Barry Sanders. Notice they didn't have Abdul Fakir from the Four Tops there, but, you know, okay, that's fine. But, um, you know, every luminary from Anita Baker wasn't even there, but every great person from Detroit was there to see this football game. Was the moment going to be too much for the players of Detroit? And they answered that question right away in that first quarter. No. Those, those guys, especially on offense, they came out smoking. Opening drive of the game, 73 yards, 10 plays for a touchdown. L.A. kicked the field goal to make a 7-3. Okay, but wait a minute. The next series, five plays, 75 yards in less than three minutes to make it 14-3. Oh, okay. All right. This, 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 ain't, this, this, this game is, is, is not big enough for Detroit, but then L.A. scored on the 50-yard pass from uh, Stafford to Puku Nakua to make it 14-10. Is Detroit going to respond? you damn right they did. Scored on their third straight possession, 11 play, 75-yard touchdown drive to make it 21-10. So I said, okay, all right. This game is not going to be big enough for Detroit. The narrative, the meaning for this game and what it means to the city, it's not going to be too big for Detroit. And in the second half, relying on the first half, Detroit relied on their offense. Building that lead, giving momentum, realizing that the game is not too big, blah, blah, blah. Then in the second half, that Detroit Lions defense, whether you want to put the blame more on the Rams or maybe give flowers and kudos to the Detroit Lions defense, the bottom line is it was a defense in the second half that bent but never broke. Two of the four second half possessions for the Rams when they were down 24 17 the Rams. They went 10 plays, 62 yards, 66 yards, but didn't get into the uh, end zone. They got in the red zone, got inside the 10, but they didn't score. Three points, make it 24-20. Then at the start of the fourth, they went 13 plays, 79 yards. Again, made it inside the 10, but didn't make it into the end zone. Kicked the field goal to make it 24-23. Then the last possession of the game, 7-18 left to go for the Lions in terms of them having a real chance. Didn't need a touchdown. All they needed to do was get in field goal position. Matthew Stafford playing a hell of a game. Defense for Detroit got it done. Yeah, the Rams drove to the Lions 34-yard line with 424 left, but a holding penalty call on third and four made it third and 14, pushed the Lions, pushed the Rams back to the 44, incomplete pass, they kicked the ball, the offense then took over, not to score, but to run out the clock, which exactly what they did, Dan Campbell doing what he did, Ben Johnson doing what he's been doing all season long, eschewing conventional wisdom, passing on second and nine to win the football game for him. So hell yeah, man, the Detroit Lions are, um, the Detroit Lions are for real. They're for real. Houston, Cleveland, 45-14. C.J. Stroud threw three first-half touchdown passes. 
Houston defense returned a pair of Joe Flacco interceptions for a touchdown in the second half. Stroud finished the game 16 to 21 for 274 yards. Again, I, I take the same deal in terms of I take the same cautious approach with CJ Stroud than what I did what I did with um with uh, uh Jordan Love in terms of okay, look, the accolades are there. All right, we get it with CJ Stroud. He approved this all season. He approved it to us all season, right? Concerning of uh, C.J. Stroud, one of the best quarterback, young quarterback, blah, blah, blah. But we had to see it in the playoffs. He showed us in the playoffs that yes. But then again, let's think about the Cleveland Browns. A team that was coming in banged up. A team whose defense basically ran out of gas. Uh, because of how much that they had to uh, they had to deliver. And the responsibilities that they had in terms of uh, leading this team. 21 passes for Stroud. Still didn't have that, oh my goodness, moment. He has arrived moment in terms of making plays in the clutch down the stretch. He'll get that chance possibly against the Baltimore Ravens, but still I was proud I was proud of C.J. Stroud of what he did. I'm quite sure his mama and his daddy sitting in jail were also quite proud of him also. Buffalo over Pittsburgh, 31-17. Buffalo's win streak continues, really sets up things for the game against Kansas City for Pittsburgh moving forward. Hey, man, Pittsburgh with Mike Tomlin. He, Tomlin, he said that he was going to come back and uh, coach another year. All right, fine. Pittsburgh is kind of in that uh, area of, okay, do we have a quarterback? What kind of quarterback really do we have? If Kenny Pickett is going to be your quarterback, if you believe in Kenny Pickett, how much do you need to build around Kenny Pickett to get Pittsburgh to where they want to go, which is competing for championships. I'm not sure that Kenny Pickett is going to be that guy. What Mason Rudolph showed us in the game and down the stretch in the game against the uh, Bills and even in the games that he started is that the difference between Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph is really not that great. And both of those quarterbacks so far have shown us, shown us that they're not the quarterback to uh, get them to the Super Bowl. But Buffalo continues to move and groove and get things done. Josh Allen had another great game. They will be moving on to play Kansas City, host Kansas City next week. Speaking of those games, we're going to talk about those games. We're going to talk about the divisional games on Saturday when you're speaking about Houston and when you're spe- Houston playing um, uh, Baltimore, Green, play- Green Bay playing San Francisco, and then Sunday's games, Tampa and Detroit. Kansas City and Buffalo. I'll give my thoughts and opinions, storylines, breaking it all down next. Coming up after the boogie break. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, 
so glad that you could be with us recording this on a um recording this on a Wednesday mid morning afternoon. You know, I really don't want to get too deep into the woods about the coaches in terms of who's who's going to be, you know, what which team is going to be um, hiring which coach and that type of stuff. I know Gerard Mayo, Mayo was already introduced or he's going to be introduced as the next coach by the New England Patriots. And Jim Harbaugh has interviewed with the Los Angeles Chargers and the Atlanta Falcons. And Bill Belichick has interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons. I kind of, I kind of like to see when all this dust is cleared, when the smoke has been settled in terms of some of the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and other uh, coaches who are in the playoffs right now, where do they stand? I'm waiting on my Washington commanders to uh, make their move in terms of who are they going to be uh, selecting? Who are they interested in? I know that Ben Johnson is their top guy, the offensive coordinator for the, for the Detroit Lions. So, I'll get into that stuff a little bit later. And I know I recorded I recorded the uh, my last podcast last week and then the day after it was when Bill Belichick was uh, dismissed, fired, let go, whatever you want to say from the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick has got his flowers. Everyone talked about how great he is. And like I said with Nick Saban, the man ain't dead. All right, so let's stop talking about him like, oh, what a legacy of this type and the other. Especially when you speak about Bill Belichick still wants to coach. So, uh, you know, we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to talk about that a little bit later on. Oh, how about that? Wait a minute. Pacers are going to acquire Pascal Siakam in the three-teamer, huh? Pace, Raptors get Bruce Brown, Jordan. Uh, how about that? Let me see. So the Pacers get Pascal Siakam. The Raptors get... Uh, Bruce Brown, uh, nobody from the bench, three first-round picks. And the Pelicans get Kira Lewis Jr. in a 2024 second-round pick and two uh, picks in 2024 and one in first in 2026. So Pascal Siakam, I thought that people were speculating that he would go either to the Philadelphia 76ers or the, or the Golden State Warriors. But the leader being the Golden State Warriors trying to elongate the... Um, career and title hopes for Steph Curry. You know what? I'm going to save that for the next segment. I'm going to save that for the next segment. I'm going to save that because I promised I promise that I wanted to get to the uh, divisional round for the uh, NFL. So I'm sorry. Got off track because I'm over here watching the television screen. And yeah, how about that? It was rumored. Now, now the only thing left is going to be for uh, Zach Levine to go somewhere. Is he going to go to the Lakers? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bad Wendell, bad Wendell. Let me go ahead and uh, get back to the uh, NFL. Hey, I can't help it, man. You know, when you're speaking about my Halle Berry, when you speak about my Layla Roshan, when you speak about my Monica Bellucci, when you speak about my Selma Hayek, when you speak about the love of my life known as the NBA when it concerns the sports leagues, the love of my life till death do apart in turn of my love and devotion, sometimes I get thrown off track and start rambling about it like I am right now. NFL division, <laughs> division round. Um, Saturday's games, Houston at Baltimore, 4.30 Eastern Standard Time on ABC, ESPN stations. Um, also on Saturday, Green Bay at San Francisco, 8.15 Eastern Standard Time on Fox. Sunday's games, uh, Tampa at Detroit, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on NBC. And then Kansas City at Buffalo, 6.30 Eastern Standard Time on CBS. So Baltimore 
and Houston. Interestingly, they played the first week of the season, which was C.J. Stroud's first game as a pro. Baltimore won 25-9, but, 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 the score was only 7-6 with 10 minutes left to go in the uh, third quarter. Of course, the question is going to be how much time will Baltimore need, if any, to shake off the rust and play at the level they played against the last two games that meant something, which were the San Francisco 49ers and the Miami Dolphins games, in which they played. The Ravens have won six of their last seven games. The last loss was a meaningless game in Week 17 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and since Week 11, Baltimore had the highest point margin in the NFL, which is which is a plus 90. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm because every time this season in the NFL, unlike a lot of others. Every time when we think we have it down in terms of, okay, this team's going to be the best, this team is now the best team in the league, this team is now the Super Bowl favorite, this team is going to do all these things, they disappoint, right? And we've been saying that all year, for the most part. We just we just started talking about, or we just get finished talking about in this podcast about the 10-1 Philadelphia Eagles, and everybody thought that they were going to be the best team when they were 10-1 and this, that, and the other. Then when Dallas beat them, we were like, ooh, wow, Dallas is going to be the team, and we, see how, we saw how they flamed out. We, then we were speaking about the San Francisco 49ers, and then they got beat by the Baltimore Ravens, and everybody was now jumping off the San Francisco and Brock Purdy MVP bandwagon. So now it was clearly after the game against Miami that the Baltimore Ravens are the best team in the NFL or the best team in the AFC. How are they going to respond in terms of having those weeks off? Lamar Jackson had to play in a meaningful game in, what, two or three weeks? Two weeks, something like that? So how in the world are they going to be able to respond immediately or get their stuff going immediately when they're playing against a team as confident and on a roll like the Houston Texans who have been playing playoff-level intensity uh, playoff games ever since, what, the final week of the season uh, against the Indianapolis Colts. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Now, the Ravens, if you remember, in 2019, they were 14-2. and two. Lamar Jackson was the MVP. They came in and lost to the Tennessee Titans in their first game in the playoffs. And they it was, it was ugly. Again, finished 14-2. and two. They lost 28-12. Nine players remain from that 2019 team, including quarterback Lamar Jackson. So it's going to be a situation where there's enough player on those teams. Now, outside of Lamar, those other eight players, I don't know how much they're contributing to the success of the team this season, but there's enough voices, there's enough memory, there's enough experience to kind of say, hey, during these times off, we knew what happened the last time that we played. Now they're older. Lamar Jackson has now not only become a more mature football player, but now a more mature person and leader. And speaking of Lamar Jackson, the other storyline when you're speaking about the start of not only this game with the Houston Texans, but now also this run through the playoffs for the Baltimore Ravens is Lamar Jackson. The only thing standing in his way. And I, re- and I remember bringing this up as a, uh, a topic point. When um, on a couple of my podcasts or a podcast a week or two ago, something like that, when I was speaking about, is it now time with Lamar Jackson winning his second MVP? Is it now time for Lamar Jackson to be put in the same plane, the same level as Patrick Mahomes? Now, the only thing when you speak about the greatness, the only thing when you speak about the accolades, or the only thing 
when you speak about the awards individually and team that Patrick Mahomes has over Lamar Jackson is the most important thing, which is Super Bowl championships. And throughout his playoff career, that has been the only bugaboo for Lamar Jackson leading up to this point. His performances in playoffs, this is going to be the first time since 2020 that Lamar has played in the playoffs. Baltimore made the uh, playoffs last season, but Lamar was injured. If you remember, he had suffered an injury and was upset with the Baltimore Ravens. And there was a situation, there was speculation where, is Lamar really injured enough not to be able to play? Or is he like, well, I got my contract coming up. I'm really not happy with the Baltimore Ravens. So, yeah, maybe I could risk it. Yeah, maybe I could come back. But, nah, I'm going to be thinking about Lamar in this situation and, and continue to sit out and let Todd Hundley be the quarterback going into these playoff games. There was that speculation, which then led to Lamar at one time speaking about, I want to be uh, I want to be the highest-paid football player, and I want all my money guaranteed. And then there was, I want to be traded, and then he finally got his contract, and then Todd Munkin became the offensive coordinator for the Ravens, and everything just took off, and now Lamar is going to be the prohibitive favorite to be the MVP the second time in his short career that he's done that to MVP by the time that he's 27 years old. So now it's a situation where the only thing standing in the way, I think, of Lamar taking the place because we've been looking for a real dance partner to go along with Patrick Mahomes, right? And there have been many worthy candidates. Josh Allen is one. Joe Burrow is one. Now I think the one that could be the most substantial, especially if he wins the championship, it's going to be Lamar Jackson. Because we don't know what's going to be happening with Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills moving forward if they lose uh, this upcoming weekend to the Kansas City football team. We don't know what the ramifications. We don't know what's going to be happening in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. We don't know what's going to be happening with Justin Herbert. All these other great quarterbacks. We don't know what's going to be happening in terms of them being true competitors, being true rivals, being that guy to compete with Patrick Mahomes in terms of being the face of the NFL. Because the faces of the NFL, they're not defensive tackles. They're not offensive tackles. They're not linebackers. They're not cornerbacks. They're not safeties. They're not running backs. And they're not wide receivers. They're quarterbacks. And the guy that has been the face of the league for the last three or four years, especially since now Brady has gone on and done other things and not have and is, and is no longer in the NFL, it has now become Patrick Mahomes' leagues. It's now Patrick Mahomes' world, and we're all living in it, right? These other quarterbacks are still living in Mahomes' world, Mahomesville, and they're paying rent, or maybe they have some property of their own. But the mayor, the president, the king, the god, the everything is Patrick Mahomes. Let's see if someone can abdicate the throne, or at least share the throne with Mahomes. Many people thought it was going to be Josh Allen. Many people thought it was going to be Joe Burrow, especially when you're speaking about Burrow and they beat Mahomes in the AFC Championship game a couple of years ago to get to the Super Bowl. Josh Allen got close in terms of the historic game a couple of years ago in the uh, divisional round of the playoffs, but Buffalo hadn't even reached the AFC Championship game yet. So again, moving forward, there's still some questions regarding that team surrounding Josh Allen if they lose, what's going to happen to Sean McDermott? What's going to be moving forward? Um, Lamar Jackson is going to be the, is, is now the guy, I believe, that can share that spotlight, that can be that rival to Patrick Mahomes. The only thing is that he's going to have to show it 
by going out on the field and doing it. So let's, it'll be interesting to see if that happens. And if it doesn't happen, and if he's outplayed by C.J. Stroud, what does that mean for Stroud and his ascension to to, to uh, fulfilling some of the accolades and responsibilities that have been bestowed upon him early in his NFL career? So all of those things are going to be interesting. Are going to be interesting. Um, let me see here. What else? What else was I talking about? Yeah, Jackson one and three, in his four playoff games, four touchdowns. Or four total touchdowns, five interceptions. Never advanced past the divisional round in any of the three trips to the playoffs. So, yeah, there we go. Look, Houston this season against winning teams, they've been 7-3. and Estrella throwed for over 300 yards passing while, 20, while having 21 touchdowns and just two interceptions in those games. Against teams, again, that have finished with winning records. So, you know, I'm not expecting Baltimore to lose, but... um. I think the Texans have a fighter's chance. Green Bay at San Francisco. Basically, I want to see if Green Bay can do it again. I don't know what was going on with Dallas. I don't know what their mindset was. So I'm not trying to say that it was no big deal, what the Green Bay Packers did. I'm not trying to minimize. I'm not trying to trivialize. I'm not trying to denigrate. I'm not trying to downgrade. I'm not trying to laugh. I'm not trying to scoff. I'm not trying to do any of those negative things in terms of the performance that the Green Bay Packers gave to the world, to the country, to the viewing public, to the NFL football community, and their embarrassment, their beatdown, their one-sided demolition of the Dallas Cowboys this past weekend. But it's almost like, okay, you know next week in San Francisco, y'all ain't playing the Cowboys. Y'all ain't playing Mike McCarthy. The coach for the San Francisco 49ers ain't Matt McCarthy. It's uh, it's Kyle Shanahan. So let's see what you can do. Can a Packers defense be a, as effective against the 49ers, 49ers on the road as they were against Dallas? Because Dallas at home, they hadn't lost a football game. The offense is averaging over 30 points a game. They put up a couple of 40-point um, games during the regular season, blah, 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 blah. And Green Bay took all that, wiped their ass with it, and, t- and flushed it down the toilet. The 49ers coming into this game, they're third in the uh, in the NFL in rushing yards and fourth in passing yards. Can the Green Bay Packers have a similar type of impact in that game against San Francisco than they did against Dallas? And is Jordan Love ready to ascend to another level after his performance this past weekend? Again, again, just like C.J. Stroud. Jordan Love, 16 for 21, 272 yards, a couple of touchdowns, but they ran the ball more effectively than they almost did passing the football. I want to see Jordan Love put a team on his back in situations like this and get the job done. I think Jordan Love is going to be a great quarterback. I think Jordan Love is ascending to being one of those few elite quarterbacks that can win you a championship. I'm just not ready to call it just yet. And I don't know if this Green Bay Packer team with the young talent that they have around it is ready to ascend to that level yet. They'll have the ultimate challenge on Saturday against the San Francisco 49ers. And can Green Bay make Brock Purdy win a game for San Francisco? Because you know 
that the San Francisco 49ers on offense want to put the ball in the hands of Christian McCaffrey. And mainly, I don't want to say game manage, because every quarterback is a game manager who plays in a system. The responsibilities for each one of those quarterbacks is greater than the others, but they have a plan, they have a situation. Um, I'm interested to see if the defense, and along with the offense, jumping out to an early lead, can then change the way that San Francisco wants to score points and dictate the tempo of the ball, of the football game, by now having to have Brock Purdy throw the ball downfield. Brock Purdy throw the ball 35 to 40 times. It'll be interesting to see if the defense can make that happen. Tampa Bay at Detroit. Lions have the chance to make more history this upcoming weekend by winning multiple playoff games in the, se- in the same season for the first time since their 19... 19- <laughs> That's their 1957 championship run. That was 60. <laughs> that was 68, 60. Let me see, 57, 43, 43 plus 24. 67 years ago. <laughs> Woo! 67 years ago. Man, that's uh okay. That's a lot. Which former quarterback is going to is going to um, prevail on his redemption tour? On his redemption tour. Um, Jared Goff. At the advantage, I think, playing at home in Detroit this weekend where he's been better than he has been on the road. That's kind of a no-brainer when it comes to most of the quarterback. He's averaged 270 yards per game this season, which was second behind Tua, but he's averaged 280 yards per game at home. He also threw 19 of of the 30 passes, touchdown passes at home, while Baker Bayfield had stretches of playing really good football. He posted a perfect passer rating in a game against Green Bay this season on the road, but Mayfield has struggled at times in the final two games of the regular season, but was sharp against the Eagles on um, Sunday. So we'll see about that. Kansas City at Buffalo. Can the sequel match the last time that they played in the playoffs when you're speaking about the Bills and the Kansas City football team, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes versus Jared uh, versus Josh Allen, right? Can they be the Can they be the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell of this generation? I know that a lot of those are like individual sports. Can they be? Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hearn, Sugar Ray Leonard. Can they can they, can they have that type of uh, impact? Because, you know, we always like to break it down mano e mano more than team on team. Mahomes was the first time playing a playoff game in his career on the road. Um, you know, the Bills, Josh Allen. Again, is this going to be a situation where, hey, look, man, either you get it done or we're going to have to go somewhere else and try to get it done. So those things, those things are going to be... Those questions need to be answered. I'm going to hurry up here and get things done. So, yeah, that's basically it, right? So I hit those two, hit those four. Cool. All right. So, yeah, let me go ahead and um, go ahead and get to a break, get to my last subject, get to my last uh, segment because we got some NBA stuff that I want to talk about. Pascal Siakam, huh? Man, being traded to the Indiana Pacers. And I want to talk about one of the most disgraceful things that I've seen in a while. And also why it kind of confirms that uh, Michael Jordan, great basketball player, one awesome basketball player, doesn't make him a doesn't stop him from being a horrible human being. 
I'll give my reasons why. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World and Sports. podcast last segment of the program Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us really quickly because I want to get on out of here again I keep saying that I will discuss the NBA in much greater detail after every podcast that I do next week I promise I will be discussing the NBA ad nauseum because there's so many things that I want to talk about I want to talk about the Lakers collapse I want to talk about the trade deadline I'll get more into Pascal Siakam being um traded to the Indiana Pacers and what that means, what that means for Toronto, I guess, with the trading of OG and Anobi to the New York Knicks and Pascal Siakam, a side jury is finally throwing in the towel in terms of starting to rebuild. What did it mean for the Golden State Warriors? I thought the Warriors were going to be the ones that ultimately would get Pascal Siakam, but if I'm the Raptors, I'm asking for Jonathan Kaminga. I'm not asking for Andrew Wiggins. I already got one Canadian on the team through a trade this season, which is R.J. Barrett. I don't need another. I don't need another one in Andrew Wiggins, who ever since winning that championship with the Golden State Warriors and being an integral part of it, has kind of fallen off the map. I don't know if dealing with the personal issue that he had last season, which caused him to miss a decent amount of time, is still lingering. Um, I have no idea. But Andrew Wiggins for the Golden State Warriors isn't playing well, and it's, it is sucks really for the Warriors in their organization because now they're kind of stuck in a situation where we have a generational great, an all-time great in Steph Curry, who is still playing at a high level, but we don't have a team around them that's going to be able to win anything. So so now you're at the point where it's like, do I, how, how much of this do I go in terms of, where, where are we going to get to the point with Steph Curry where he does the Damian Lillard? where he says, hey, look, fellas, I got one more championship. I want to win one more championship in me. This could this could happen next season. This could happen in a couple of seasons. This could happen three seasons from now. But there's going to come a time with the Golden State Warriors, the way they're looking right now, they're going to have to make a decision in terms of what they're going to do with Steph Curry. Now, you can hold on to Steph Curry for the last couple of years, the way that he plays, the shape that he's in, his skill set. He could play really really effective, impactful basketball for another two to three years and still be effective for another four or five years. So we're speaking about the 38, 39, even 40-year-old Steph Curry who can still be meaningful for a team that's going to win a championship. But the Steph Curry 
that could win a championship with mediocre talent, that team is no longer there. That well, that player is no longer there. Seth Curry is still an awesome player. He's still a great player. He's still an all NBA first or second or third team player. But he's not the player that he was in 2015 or 16 or 17 when he won uh, unanimous MVPs. He's not that player anymore in which, again, he can take mediocre to good talent and be the main man to lead them to a championship. That Steph Curry is gone. He's not coming back. So the situation with Golden State is is that they're not a good basketball team. It's kind of a misjointed basketball team. It's a team that doesn't play any defense. It's a team that doesn't hold the lead. It's a team that uh, should be in transition. And it's a team that I believe the window has now closed shut in terms of them winning a championship. Clay Thompson, I don't think, is going to rebound from the level of play that he's been displaying all season long. He could get a little bit better, but the Clay Thompson that have helped Golden State win those championships, even as late as a couple of years ago, I don't think that Clay Thompson is coming back. We have a situation with Draymond who's coming back, but this was a guy who Adam Silver had to talk out of retiring while he was on his indefinite suspension. I don't know how much he has left. I mean, you take a look at Andrew Wiggins in terms of how he's fallen off in terms of his production and impact on winning basketball. You take a look now at the young players like Jonathan Kaminga and, um, and Moses Moody, the, the guys that were drafted along with Jonathan Wiseman that was supposed to be the bridge for the next generation of great Golden State teams. Jonathan Kaminga is getting better and better and better, but it's a situation where Steve Kerr, I don't think, still trusts him enough for them to win a championship or for him to be impactful to be part of a championship winning team. And then you've got Kevon Looney and you've got others, Dario Sarge, Chris Paul now is out again with another injury. So so it's going to be a situation now with Chris Paul, I mean, excuse me, with um, Steph Curry. When do we blow this up? And when does Steph Curry look around and say, yeah, I've been a lifelong Golden State Warrior employee. I know what I've meant to the city. I know what I've meant to the franchise. But there's going to come a time where I think Steph is going to want to continue to win more championships while he's still in that position, while he still has those talents, while he still has that ability. And I think there's also going to come a time where him asking for a trade if that does come to fruition because we all know Steph Curry, great guy, wonderful guy, does a lot in the community, blah, blah, blah. But there's going to come a time, just like every other great player who still has some game left, that, look, I don't want to be lingering. I don't want to be on on a team that's going to be 500 or below. And for the Warriors, you're going to have to say, okay, yeah, we know how much Steph Curry means to this team. We know how much Steph Curry means to this community and to this organization, which then raises the value of our team. We know all of that, but when is it time to pull the plug and start over again? Because we can continue this masquerade. We can continue the charade with Steph Curry being part of the Warriors basketball team for next season and the season after that and the season after that. Then he can still be the man and he can still sign autograph for the kids and he can still be the hero for the kids and he can still great, be great for the community. Him and Aisha, his wife, and do all those type of things. We can do all that. He can still be all that. But we ain't going to be winning a whole lot of basketball games. And what is this team going to look like when eventually they're going to have to part with a Draymond Green or a Clay Thompson or a Kevon Looney or an Andrew Wiggins and those guys who were players, important players, impactful players for the last remnants of the dynasty known as the Golden State Warriors? 
And then you have a bunch of new guys who don't know anything about Warriors culture, who don't know anything about winning championships, and they're surrounded by Steph Curry. And Steph Curry's looking around saying, I can't win with these guys. Are we rebuilding? Are we starting to rebuild? Because if we're rebuilding, I still got some juice left in the tank to win championships and help a team win the championships. I sure as hell don't want to be here. I don't want to be rebuilding. I want to be winning championships. I've got, what, four? Opportunity for me to get five. I could be up there with Kobe. I could be up there with the greats. Man, I want a little bit more. My legacy isn't done. My legacy hasn't ended yet. There's still more to be written. It can't be written with this squad. So it'll be interesting as the Warriors move on and on if they continue to flounder like they are right now. They lost on MLK Day on the road to Memphis without John Morant, without any of, without Steven Adams, without uh, any of their other great players. Do a GG Jackson from South Carolina with the GGGGG is going on here. He scored 23. So for Golden State, it's like, man, mm, mm, mm. let me end with this. Michael Jordan's a scumbag. Michael Jordan's a scumbag as a human being. And, and, and I, can't, I can't stand it when this society, this world, kind of overlooks the fact that Michael Jordan is a scumbag of a human being because he's a great basketball player. Michael Jordan, arguably, is the greatest basketball player who's ever lived. His impact as a basketball player on society because of his athletic greatness, because of his basketball genius, is unparalleled. He has become one of the most well-known, recognized athletes of his generation. He's right up there with, he, he, for our generation, I guess you could say, he's our generation's Babe Ruth or Muhammad Ali. I mean, he's that well-known worldwide. Billionaire, Jordan shoes, impact the culture because of all of that, without question, without doubt. But as a human being, Michael Jordan is a fucking scumbag. And the folks in Chicago the other night who booed Jerry Krause when they had the Ring of Hall of Fame induction, you guys are fucking scumbags. You guys are fucking lowlifes. Have you looked at yourself in the mirror? I mean, it's one thing if you want to hide it from other people because it's like, ah, yeah, I know. If I did that, that's kind of of wrong and this, that, and the other. So look, in our privacy, when there's no one around to judge us, we probably thought some things. We've probably done some things in the company of ourselves and ourselves only that we wouldn't say, that we wouldn't do in public because of the perception, because we know how it makes us look. We've done this. But to be bold enough, to be brazen enough, to be ignorant enough, to, to, to do that with people there, to boo the man who is dead and his widow, Thelma, sitting there, what the fuck is the matter with you guys? Seriously. What in the name of holy hell is the matter with you guys? So, look, you might not. Jerry Krause, they had a Hall of Fame, they had a, Hall, a Ring of Honor. Um, some of the players from the 95, 96 championship team or whatever, they came back. Cook Coach was there. Bill Wellington was there. Phil Jackson was there. Um, Scotty Pippen didn't show up. And Michael Jordan didn't show up. That's That's... Michael Jordan doesn't have to, Michael Jordan doesn't have to show up. I get I get that. I understand that. But when they put on the the big screen or on the arena screen or whatever, um, Jerry Krause's face and the crowd started booing, and then they showed his w- widow 
Thelma, who was obviously distraught, it's like, what the fuck is the matter with you guys? What the fuck is the matter with you guys? Well, he broke up a dynasty. What the fuck did that mean to you? Yeah, if Jerry Krause was doing something that affected your livelihood, if breaking up the Bulls meant that you lost your job, you lost your house, your wife left you, your kids hated you, if that was the impact of Jerry Krause breaking up the Bulls, then yes, I can understand why you would boo him. Regardless if his widow was there or not. If it affected you in any of those ways, yes, I could understand that. But you're going to try to tell me and justify that it was all right to fucking look like an asshole and a fucking imbecile and a fucking lowlife and boo a man who's dead because, heaven forbid, he broke up a dynasty of your basketball team when you were too fucking ignorant to understand that it wasn't mainly Jerry Krause who was the reason behind that? And even if it was the justification to boo him while the man is dead, while they were celebrating a team that won a championship, while his widow was sitting there, that gave you the justification in your in your mind that gave you the justification to boo somebody with his widow there to make her feel that way? What the fuck is wrong with you, man? Woman? Child? Some of these motherfuckers who were born probably weren't even born when all of this shit was going down. What the fuck are you thinking about? Most of you fucking dumb assholes probably weren't even living when Michael Jordan was doing his thing or too young to even remember Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls doing their thing. How the fuck do you know about what happened with Jerry Krause? Why, because of the Michael Jordan-produced video or, or uh, docuseries uh, concerning the uh, Chicago Bulls? Jerry Krause was bullied by Michael Jordan relentlessly. Did you see that the Hall of Fame speech? He bullied him while Jordan was a player and Krause was the GM. He bullied him and he continued to bully him. And this is where we know that, um, this is where we know where Michael Jordan is the fucking scumbag. Because all he had to do after what went down, and you could say Jordan didn't tell those folks to boo, got it, understood. But you know what would have made Jordan a halfway decent human being? Is if he would have put out some type of response to say, hey, look, 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 look. You might not like Jerry Krause. I don't like Jerry Krause. I don't like what he did. But, hey, man, that what happened in Chicago was wrong the other day. For those who were booing the man while his widow was there, that was wrong. I don't condone that. Um, that's not what Bulls culture and that's not what it was all about. He could have come out and said something like that. Jordan hadn't said jack shit for all that, for, for, from what I know. He hasn't said nothing. So he's going to let this linger. He's not going to reprimand. He's not going to uh, do anything in terms of saying, hey, look, y'all, what the fuck with that? Don't be booing these. Don't be booing the guy, all right? And Jordan is so fucking petty. He's such a fucking bully. He's such a fucking narcissist. He, 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 he's a guy who, who is so into himself. Had the man ever apologized for anything? This was a man who was so petty and such a bully. Ask Charles Barkley, who still says he's my best friend. Man, how the fuck can you how the fuck can you still be your best friend with Jordan after he did what he did to you? And let me tell you something, man. I would love to be a billionaire. I would love to have the toys and everything that it comes with having the wealth of a Michael Jordan. I wouldn't want his I wouldn't want his his fandom. I wouldn't want his stardom. But everything else in terms of what Michael Jordan has, give it to me. 
But I would trade all that in a New York minute if you said that I had to be the human being that Michael Jordan was to achieve those things. Couldn't do it. I couldn't be that petty. I couldn't be that selfish. And I'm a guy who's pretty petty and selfish. Believe me, I know what it takes to be petty and selfish. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm, you know, I'm the father of Mother Teresa or MLK or anything like that, man. I get it. I understand it. I understand what pettiness means. I understand that it's hard for me to say that I'm sorry. I know that it's, uh, you know, I, I know that, uh, I know how that feels. But goddamn, man, really? The widow was there, and the and, and these had these, these fucking clowns were booing, and not a peep, not a word from Jordan. But then again, this was a guy read something years ago on ESPN when Jordan turned fifty, and they were talking about his competitive spirit. And uh, they were speaking about um, when he would do um, a commercial. I don't know if it was for Nike or what. But he was doing a commercial for Nike. And somebody would bring him over hot buttered rolls. Right? A big pan of hot buttered rolls. So when Jordan would go out of his... Would go out of his area. Go out of his... His whatever. To go shoot the uh, shot. Or go to film the commercial. He would spit on the rolls so no one would just trailer right so when he would leave his trailer to go shoot the commercial the rolls would be in his trailer he would spit on the rolls so no one would come in and take any of the rolls i mean are, seriously this was the stories of jordan when he was uh when he was in his playing days really you're that petty and you're that much of an asshole really but he, he's a great basketball player, right? He's a great basketball player, so that's okay. That's okay. I, I, I'm i glad that I live in a life. I'm glad that my life doesn't have those type of rules because I would hate to be that type of a human being and people still be like, hey, Wendell, that's cool. Don't worry about it. We understand why you're an asshole and we still love you. So I don't know. Man, I didn't even get a chance to talk about Jokic and um, Joel Embiid last night. Great game between Philadelphia and uh, Denver. Even though I still think Jokic is the best player in the NBA, Joel Embiid put on a show, baby, put on a show. And then I watched the Clippers in Oklahoma City. That was a good game also. But I'm going to get into that next time because I have run way over. I want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, review, enjoy. The most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Special dedication for those who are doing what they need to do to make this world a better place being an anti-Jordan, which is loving, forgiving, empathy, sympathy, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of religion, all of those things. Love each other. Try to understand each other. Do the, what we can to spread love and unity and harmony in this world because, man, as the song Stevie, as my man Stevie said, what we need now is love today. Get me out of here, please, with some music.